Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Dream Podcast. I'm Edward Assel, and Arthur Black is not actually with me today, but uh, always here in spirit. Uh, speaking of spirits, though, t- today our guest is Ed Hamilton. Uh, you might recognize him from uh, such beautiful rums as Hamilton Rums. Uh, welcome to the show, Ed. Thanks. Glad I could make it. It's been a little while since I've seen you, man. Been busy. I've been running my ass off. Yeah, I bet you have. Um, yeah, so we've been uh, we've been blowing through a lot of your product uh, ourselves um, at our new bar that we're running. The tiki bar is kind of fully up and going, and we are we're pouring a lot of Hamilton. So yeah, well, congratulations that you're open. Uh, as you know, the product line's grown, and uh, a lot of things have changed. But everything I'm doing in the Hamilton line uh, is driven by people like yourself coming to me and saying, "Hey, I need." this profile, like a black Jamaican rum with character, or a gold rum for those that don't want their drinks looking really muddy and dirty or uh, really nasty, uh, if they're not served in a beautiful ceramic tiki mug. Sure, right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. It's a, That's the great uh, trick, right? Just uh, if it's ugly, put it in a tiki mug. Nobody will ever see the color. Yeah, it'll look fine. Uh, and then I've got a couple of other blends, again, that were driven by people like yourself, the Navy Strength, people saying, I need something that my customers, uh, the average customer that walks in off the street and wants a drink, isn't overpowered by some uh, funky yeah. concoction. Well, that's what I've always liked about you, man. You're always, uh, you've always listened to what everybody's kind of looking for, but without sacrificing the quality. Well, that's that's the tough part. Uh, yeah, I could come up with something, uh, but if I can't put it on your bar at a price that you can afford to pour, right? It sits on the back bar. Yeah, they look pretty though. They look nice up there. Oh yeah, <laughs> but but yeah, it doesn't move. And we've got a ton of those bottles and the or the unicorns, you know that. You know, you kind of got to sell for cost just to move them. Well, I've got uh, Nissan rums aged fifteen and eighteen years old that are hundreds of dollars a bottle. And I love them, uh, but honestly, they don't move very fast. They're in a few key places uh, that they buy them. Uh, It's amazing how many times the fancy bars say, well, you ought to give that to us uh, because we are XYZ bar. (laughs) And I go, really? (laughs) So you can sell it at a ridiculous amount of money, and, uh, you know, I just can't, can't do that. But you have to have those products as I call them aspirational products. Sure, absolutely. It's I mean, like the it's tricked out. Having. Yeah, it's the tricked out Porsche. <laughs> uh, how many people drive them? But everybody wants a Porsche, <laughs> right? But, but they drive the 911 or the old Targa or the Carrera, you know, the mom soccer mom car now. Uh, but the core of both of our business is the the rums that go into cocktails that people like. Yeah, man. So I want to back up a little bit. Excuse me. I've known you for a number of years now um, before you actually had your own rum line, but uh, you were already importing at that point. But we've sat and talked numerous times about just life and rum and et cetera. But you had a pretty uh, interesting background because if I remember right, you actually like, well, A, uh, you're the minister of rum. So, like, I mean, a lot of people would know you, Ministry of Rum, even if they don't know your particular brand. I would presume if you know one, you would know the other. But uh, if not, maybe. Uh, but uh, Ministry of Rum, that's, that's Ed. But going way back, like, you spent time in Asia. You were, like, building boats. You were, yeah, all yeah kinds I, of- I got lucky. Uh, 
really lucky when I was about 24. I was selling electromechanical actuators, uh, fancy little parts about the size of a lipstick uh, container that uh, went on bombs and aircraft and that kind of thing. They were very expensive. And my boss says, Ed, you don't seem happy. <laughs> At 24, what, me not happy? We're right after the Vietnam War. I'm selling bomb parts. And back then, we didn't have uh, weapons of mass destruction. We had really cool names like cruise missile and tomahawk right, and yeah. warriors. And you know, now, well, I guess they still don't call those weapons of mass destruction, but, uh, yeah. but they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So they still I, have to brand it. Yeah, it's got to be all branded. So I said, why wouldn't I want to be doing this the rest of my life? And he says, okay, what do you want to be doing in five years? Write it down. We were on an airplane. I got my, down my bag, got a piece of paper. I wrote, go sailing. That's what I really want to be doing in five years. Because I grew up in Florida sailing. And uh, we were flying out of Chicago in October. And it was kind of like today, getting coming on to winter. When it was colder than it is here today in Indiana. But uh, he says, now, smartass, write down five things you're going to do to make that happen starting today. Oh, wow. I wrote, I quit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Gave him the piece of paper. <laughs> that sounds like the Ed Hamilton I know. <laughs> and that was the last uh, job, regular job that I interviewed for. And five years and two months later, I'd been around the world, built yachts in Asia. Really? So what did you do to make it happen? Well, I quit my job. I mean, what's step one? I mean, you quit your job, but yeah, right. In fact, I met people on boats for years, and people say, wow, how do you do this? Or people that want to do it. And I go, well, first thing you got to do is quit your job. And they look at me like I've got three heads or something. And I go, no, seriously, you quit your job, and then you'll figure it out. I've never met a starving sailor. Now, I've met some drunk sailors, some sailors that weren't taking care of themselves, but I've never met a starving sailor. There's always something to do. But I ended up moving to California uh, a couple weeks later with a friend of mine who had gotten a job out there, uh, taught sailing in Marina del Rey and met a guy named Wendell Rankin who was building yachts in Taiwan and needed somebody to help him with some engineering work. And yeah, I'm an engineer, what do you need? I'll fix it or make it or break it. And I ended up going to uh, Taiwan, building boats with him and met Caroline who travels with me now. Uh, Wendell was a few years older, like 20 years older than us, and a really great guy. He was one of my mentors of life. And uh, when the company that I, another company that I was working for went bankrupt, he said, yeah, you go sailing and uh, get your head straight and come back. And that ended, <laughs> that ended up... Still has not happened yet, but uh, still working on getting the head straight. <laughs> yeah, I'm working on it. But I ended up uh, sailing to Hong Kong and then down through the Philippines and got to Singapore and literally got hired off a bar stool about four hours after arriving in, in Singapore to run a ship that I had absolutely no business running uh, back to Manila, but that sounded like a good thing. And then uh, a few months later, within a few months, I got hired on with Schlumberger uh, to do engineering work on oil rigs and went Jeez. all over Philippines, uh, all over Indonesia, Sumatra, Borneo, my last gig was in Papua New Guinea, and uh, at that point I, I left, came back to Florida and started looking for a boat. Found a 38-foot sailboat for about $25,000, and I said, yeah, this will work. Uh, fixed it up a little bit and went to the Caribbean. When I left Florida, I had no idea I'd be able to sustain that lifestyle for 20 years. Sure, yeah, man. 
I was just kind of looking to have as much fun as I could, guy could have without going to jail. So did, did you without going to jail? Yeah. How far? Yeah. How far did you push that? <laughs> well, I ended yeah. up smuggling everything but uh, immigrants and drugs, and uh, it, it was interesting that the. I got searched many times by I'm sure. all kinds of officials for all kinds of things. But you learn the tricks of the trade. And you're like a modern day rum runner. Yeah. <laughs> but as long as you got some kind of papers on you, even if they know they're forged, uh, and you declare your spirits as uh, ballast, uh, stores in ballast, uh, they kind of look the other really? way. Yeah. And all right. It's not a big deal. Um, I didn't smuggle a lot of cigarettes, but occasionally I'd have cigarettes. And one particular time, I was coming from St. Thomas back to Puerto Rico, and they just raised the duty on cigarettes. So the radio local Woso was talking about uh, how the fishermen were going to quit fishing and the people were going to starve because the fishermen were going to start smuggling cigarettes. <laughs> and how they were had a new task force that was going to stop the import, the illegal importation of cigarettes. And I had more than my allowed quantity of cigarettes on board. And uh, that was a little dicey, but nobody really cared. And uh, that passed, so. Well, how does that path, though, lead into rum? I mean, just being around the Caribbean and drinking rum, enjoying cocktails or being in the South Pacific. I feel like we're I'm somehow interviewing this, like, ghost of Don the Beachcomber here. Like, you know, it's like, first I went through the South Seas, then I went through the Caribbean. Uh, well, I ended up. Smuggling rum, cruising, in fact, from uh, St. Thomas back to Puerto Rico. So in the Dominican Republic, I've run across Brugal. It's about four bucks a bottle. That was right in my budget. And as a sailor, you drink beer or drink rum instead of beer because beer, even in the islands, is 50 cents or a dollar a bottle or a can. And rum's four bucks a bottle. So <laughs> the economics kind of dictate that you drink rum. Uh, then I got to Puerto Rico, and Don Q, that everybody loved and drank there in Puerto Rico, was eight nine dollars a bottle. Then I got to St. Thomas. Cruzion two year old was a dollar ninety nine, on sale for a dollar forty nine occasionally. As an engineer, it didn't take long to figure out how much rum can I put on my boat, <laughs> right. what's the volume, weight, and um, then how much can I market? And I found that twenty cases of rum fit really nicely in the or in the uh, cabin of my boat and uh, I could sell that off in a day and didn't have to sit around with a bunch of rum on my boat with a sign saying hey cheaper rum over here um, and things just grew from there in 93 I was at a full moon party in April of 93 and uh, we were drinking rum obviously and when the moon rose in the east and the sun set behind us I raised my glass with everybody and we toasted and I got a reflection through the bottom of the glass you might have gotten this uh, clarity moment of clarity fleeting moment <laughs> of clarity once in a while and I said I know what I'm going to do I'm going to go visit these distilleries and find out why are we drinking Crucian here tonight that I smuggled in from St. Thomas for less than two bucks a bottle when what the locals are drinking here is nine bucks a bottle and I, I had a feeling it was about taxes, but it had to be more than that. And then uh, I got the idea, well, I'm going to visit all the distilleries in the Caribbean and really put my engineering skills and training to work. And so this is in the mid-90s you're doing In this. the mid-90s. Yeah, okay. And figure out the industry. And maybe I'll write a book about it. That's what I'll do. 
after a few more drinks. That sounded like a good idea. And the next morning, it still seemed like a pretty good idea. So I said, okay, I'm going to go visit distilleries. And I, the first one I went to was actually Crucian. I met Donnie Nelthrop and uh, Gary Nelthrop. And after a couple hours, they looked at me and they said, hey, what's the deal here? You're asking a lot of questions. Who are you working for? <laughs> I said, me? I don't have a Just job. Just me, man. <laughs> Just me. Uh, I'm making notes and I'm... I can't believe I, I just real quick on my feet. I said, I'm collecting information for a book that will probably never be published. And they said, wow, that's a good idea. Here, have a <laughs> bottle of rum. And uh, I quickly uh, acquired a taste for rum I couldn't afford. Yeah, I'm like sure. Like many bartenders. Right, like all of us. Man. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then down the road, I, I got introduced to the French rums, which were much more expensive. And... It, I got the same question all the time. Well, where have you been? What have you had? What did you like? What didn't you like? And they'd ask me about a particular product, and I'd say, yeah, that's pretty good, but you know, the finish isn't quite what it could be. Maybe it's a little woody, but it's a little short. And they'd say, well, you've had theirs. You must have ours. And they would hand me a more expensive bottle of rum. And Eddie, as I'm sitting here today, 25 years later. God, is it? Uh, it has been 25. <laughs> Since like, I wow, started. we're getting old, man. I was like, that mid-90s, 25? Oh, yeah, yeah it has 25. Been, yeah. 25 years later, people are still sending me bottles of rum. Now, some of them are worth drinking. Oh, I'm sure, man. Yeah. Some of them I uh, just leave on the shelf. I mean, the rum category in general, I mean, we've talked about it a hundred times on the show because it's no secret I'm the rum geek host. But, I mean, it's, it's exciting because when we opened our first bar – not first bar, the uh, second one, second restaurant that had the bar, that was, which is when I met you. So it have been uh, about seven years ago, seven, seven and a half years ago, I believe. Um, like, I mean, there was, we didn't know shit about rum. It was literally just a dart that we threw. We were like, well, everybody's doing bourbon at that point. The, the category was ridiculous. You couldn't afford even like, you know, a basic bottled and bond. It was everything had gone up too expensive. And vodka, well, that was stupid. So, you know, we were like, well, nobody's really doing rum, sure. And we just Googled best rum brands, and we bought them all that were available in market, and that was about 15 of them, and they all went on the shelf. Now most of those aren't on the shelf anymore, but, like, that was it. That's all we could get in market. Now I think we have 140, I believe, up on the shelf now, and well, just had to open a tiki bar. Like, I mean, the category's expanded in really cool ways, maybe not always in ways that I agree with or you agree with, but it's... At least rum's in the conversation now, you know? It is in the conversation. Uh, 97, I published my second book, and I was in Chicago at Sam's Wine and Spirits, and there was a guy there named Joe Gunguisti who said, Ed, we, uh, someday I want to have rums of Antigua, rums of Trinidad, rums of Martinique, and you're the guy that's going to help me do it. I just published my second book. I had about 175 rums in the book, uh, maybe a little more than that, closer to 200. And uh, he says, we've got to do this. At that time, which was uh, September, October 97, in the biggest liquor store of Amer in America, there were seven rums on the shelf. Wow. I mean, that's incredibly shocking, especially considering, and I always recommend, you know, Wayne Curtis's book and a bottle of rum. I mean, considering the amount of history in this country that we owe to rum for the biggest liquor store in the country having seven, seven bottles. bottles of rum. Two Appleton, two Bacardi, a Mount Gay, that's five. 
There was a bottle of Stubbs, which I haven't seen in years. No, I haven't either. And there was a bottle of Lemon Heart with a yellow label on it, and the back label said Fresh Colored Rum. Probably the most honest rum label I've ever seen. <laughs> right. <laughs> but most of the brands that we think of staples today, El Dorado, and I'm going to say they came in in 2001. Um, all of these were th- are within a couple of years. They might have dabbled their foot right. in it. But it wasn't until after 2001 that you could get anything like that, maybe 2002 or three, depending on what state you're in. Distribution was sketchy. Yeah, they were in the U.S., but it wasn't distributed. Uh, there were a lot of people, speculators, just sitting on stuff. Uh, we're sitting in a warehouse full of wine and spirits we literally are sitting in a warehouse actually so yeah we um this i said this is the most interesting uh podcast studio we've set in to date because we are literally surrounded by got hundreds of thousands of dollars of booze some some uh really nice bottles around us as well but some of this is moving yeah i mean obviously some of this has yeah, yeah. been here for years uh, yeah I, I don't have my glasses on at the moment but i'm i see some uh i see some vodka over there that probably hasn't moved for a minute yeah, there's some <laughs> other spirits but uh, another brand that we talk about all the time in the in the industry, Florida Cana. When do you think mm. that came in? Oh, it couldn't have been that recent. 2001. Was it no one? Okay. Yeah. Maybe 2000. Santa Teresa. So all of these. Now, Crucian had been in the market, but kind of in and out of the market. Right, right, right. It was in Florida, but uh, in Indiana, where we are today. It's always a tough game here, man. And it's not just us. I mean, I always hear from our friends, you know, like the, like Dan over at Porco's and stuff, because they're, they're a control state. So I'm going uh, sorry, there. Sorry, control states. Like, you know, <laughs> like it just is such a weird system. Our whole three-tier alcohol system, which we've talked about on the show before, is just, it's crazy. But again, in those beginning days of us putting together that rum selection, we didn't know what we were doing. We Googled, like I said, best rums and started reaching out to people, and nobody really had anything. But you're one of the first people we did run into in that past path. Um, and because I was thinking about it, knowing you were coming into town today, and I was like, I mean, I have a complete obsession with Agricole and Martinique and Rum. And I think that it was uh, you are the importer of Nissan. And that is, I believe, the first Agricole that I had. Yeah, Nissan, La Favorite, and Duquesne, I import. And uh, Duquesne, they didn't want me, didn't want to sell it to me in Martinique uh, because I was importing rum from those independent bastards. <laughs> and then a couple of years later, uh, they changed their mind and said, "Yeah, we can do it." And uh, I, I needed a agricole that was aged, uh, but not too old, not too expensive. Sure. Yeah. Something you can afford to put in a tiki drink. Mm-hmm. And back then, uh, this was 2005, 2006, 2007, tiki really wasn't spoken of much. No, no. In fact, I was just reading uh, or reading the reissue of, of Jeff Berry's Sip and Safari when he talks about, you know, finding was, some recipes in 08 and 09. I'm like, God, was it that recent? Like, I, I mean, yeah. it really was. It, it seems like a lifetime ago, but... It no, really wasn't. It was a ten. It was ten years ago. It was about two thousand six or seven uh, that Martin Kate was at the Absinthe Bar in San Francisco. I was making tea punches for people, and he says, uh, "Mr. Hamilton, I'm going to open up a tiki bar in Alameda." I said, "What the hell are you thinking? Why? A t- <laughs> why a tiki bar in Alameda?" He says, "Well, Ed, it's simple. It's the only place I can afford." Man. <laughs> His his rent now isn't even so bad over at Smuggler's Cove, but I can only imagine what he's paying at Whitechapel. 
but yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I was um, well, we were talking with our tiki carver, Dave Hansen. He's known Martin since he was still in logistics and um, right, right was uh, just on the on the tiki central or whatever on the message boards. And Had it was a like, day job. I'm really into the drinks of this, and Dave was into the carving side. So they they they've known each other since like just a little after nine eleven. Right, my and uh, <clears throat> Martin's wife allowed him. Oh, it's a big allow, yeah. Like, <laughs> allowed him to turn a spare bedroom or a second bedroom into a tiki bar. And uh, as I travel the country, I'm shocked at some of the home bars. Oh, it's insane. I mean, and the they home rival, bar crawls. They rival some of the homes yeah. that I've lived in. <laughs> We've got a couple in town that are really cool. I mean, like, I've been behind the bar. We've got a gentleman here. Um, the tiki people in, in the country we don't know is Bob Six, but uh, Bob Kripe is his name, and his basement bar. Like if you get behind it, you actually um, forget you're not in a commercial bar because I've gone to dump drinks before, and then like look down right before I dump, I realize there's no sink there. Right? You know? <laughs> right. Like oh, stop, stop, stop! Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was just dumping ice. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to pour it on your floor. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't work behind bars. Uh, I never have. I um, good choice. <laughs> the, only, the only drink you'll ever see me make is a tea punch. I'm not a bartender. I don't play one on the internet. But I have been fortunate enough to meet a number of people. Do you uh, remember the first event we did together? Yeah, I do. Do you remember black, us uh, severely market. fucking up the tea punch and you freaking yeah. out? <laughs> I didn't freak out. Just no, but it was you appropriately did. We didn't know what we were doing. Again, this is just a few months after we decided to do this rum thing. And then uh, your distributor here in Indiana Crossroad um, did their job, and it's like we got this rum guy coming into town. You're the only one selling uh, agricole rum, Nissan, and like let's let's do an event together, and and so we did, and um, and after we, that, we, we batched everything out because we had 45 oh, yeah. people walking in, and when you walked in, you were like, "Where's the tea punch?" And we're like, "Ah, we batched it." And you, how the hell did you batch a tea punch? And we're like, "What do you mean?" And like we, I mean, we Googled it because we didn't know. And we're like. And when we looked at the recipe, I mean, it essentially looks like a really fucking dry daiquiri, like made with agricole. So we're like, okay, well, we'll juice some lime and touch it. And then you came in and we're like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you can't Did I fucking. Say that? But yeah, Did I, I say that. And, and then, but then, but then you were like, okay, we can fix this. I'll Hold do on, this. I'll and take you, care yeah, of this. you took a glass and you're like, okay, we this is reparable. We can fix this. And uh, yeah, that was the first time. I mean, like, I know sometimes you can be a polarizing figure out there, and people think you know that. Well, you know, there's a lot of people out there who don't love you or me. You know, I'm like, but, hey, if, if somebody doesn't hate me, I'm not doing it. But I think my some job. of those, you know, a lot of people don't know you. You know, I've, I've, we've had many a drink together. And I think once you have a few drinks together, you know, you get to know you a little bit better. And when you're not on that, the turned up, you know, sales guy, like trying to pitch. But fast have you ever known forward, me to be like, that? No, no, I have not. You, not at all, man. I, I, like me and you, I, I think we've people. always clicked. You know? those yeah. people. <laughs> but let the product stand for itself. At that time, you were like importing, like you said, uh, Duquesne and Le Favorite and and, and Nissan. And you had, was that it? Was it just agricole that time? It was just agricole. I did it just agricole for ten years. Okay, but then there was that shift, and I I was really excited when you made that shift, and you you came in and you said, "Hey, we're going to do our own label." Um, and we didn't really know what that was going to mean. Um, we were pretty excited um, about it coming through. It, we, we were just calling it Ministry of Rum Rum at that point because we didn't know if it was going to be Hamilton or Ministry of Rum. But um, I didn't know. And it was probably the first time that I had Worthy Park Rum, um, which we're now lucky enough to have, you know, Rum Bar in, and you know, Zan's become a friend of us of ours, and and it's it's really cool. But like, it's 
Worthy Park's a really neat place, and for you to be getting, like, rum from there is fantastic. You want to talk a little bit about some of the, because that was your first label, right? Was the well, uh, Jamaican I, Gold and Jamaica, the Dark Jamaican? Jamaican Gold and Black, and then also I did some barrels of St. Lucian rum at the same yeah, time. Yeah, you got any of that hanging around? I do. <laughs> I don't have any with me. I was I, actually specifically requested to make sure that I asked that. <laughs> uh, I don't have any with me. Uh, no, here on the table. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I do have eight, nine, and ten-year-old. Uh, that was an interesting one. I got samples. I did uh, 17 barrels. I did four of them as cast strength because I knew some bartenders would demand cast strength. And so I did that. And then uh, a rep in San Francisco saw the FedEx package come from Caribbean Spirits, grabbed the samples, went out and sold all four barrels in two weeks. What? And I said, okay, great job, Jeff. But that wasn't the way this was supposed to go. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> and so then I all, all By I had the way, was the you are now employed. <laughs> yeah. So then all I had was the 93 proof with this old label. Uh, yeah. Remember the old label? I do, yeah. It was, I, I was told it was a counterfeit. But Worthy Park was... Uh, <laughs> Although I think that kind of goes with the Jamaican vibe, though. <laughs> like, you know, like the, all the rums you buy in Jamaica, like... And I always talk to the folks at, at Hamden Estate about that. I'm like, it's just... Everything's great about it, except that damn label. I'm like, but when you go to Jamaica, you realize that's not a bad label for Jamaicans at all. Like, no, that's, that's what just, they do. That's the culture there, you know? That's it's just the culture. A, you know, it's shiny. And so, like, yeah, in Jamaica, this is totally so. Well, the... But you don't sell in Jamaica, do you? No, <laughs> no I don't right. sell in Jamaica. Uh, but I went to Worthy Park, and I was very fortunate that uh, Gordon Clark was excited to see me, and I really didn't know what I was going to be doing there. I wanted to buy some rum. I didn't know. Uh, I was on the prowl for a black Jamaican rum with character. Mm -hmm. There wasn't any in the market. But I knew that American... Any market at that yeah, point. And the American market, we're really not, educated enough to appreciate all the nuances of overproof Jamaican rum. And I think it's a misconception that Jamaica has this great cocktail culture with these overproof rums. They don't drink overproof rum. No, nowhere no, has great cocktail it. culture anywhere in the and that I think that was <laughs> the, the most disappointing <laughs> thing when I went into Central America the first time. I was I was uh I was actually with Carlos Esquivel. Want rum here. And uh <laughs> yeah, and he just as he he picked me up um Carlos said, I just want to give you a heads up. Like, don't expect to find a cocktail bar here. We don't have that in Panama. We like, have there, Coke? It just doesn't exist. Like, yeah, We have Coke. Uh, or Ting. Or Ting. A real fancy one would be papaya juice or pineapple. Not even pineapple. Papaya or mango juice. Uh, but, you know, expect rum straight and aged or unaged. Throw it back and then chase it with something. But my first experience at Worthy Park uh, happened to be Bob Marley's birthday, and I took a bus two and a half hours, uh, got to near the distillery public bus, and then got a little ride, and I walked the last half hour in because I was had been in a bus for two and a half hours, and everybody else in the bus was celebrating Bob Marley's birthday, <laughs> and I didn't want to be the white guy that wasn't going to help him. So, uh, you know, you do what you do which in, when you're in Jamaica on Bob Marley's National Day. Uh, but I got there and I tasted the white rum. I had already tasted it, but uh, at the distillery, everything tastes different. I tasted the white rum, the overproof, and then I tasted the aged rums. And it struck me that the aged rum was so much lighter than the white rum. 
And Gordon says, yeah, I told you, we only age the light rum. We don't age the light, very light and heavy rum that goes into the blend that is rum bar. That heavy rum component is a small percentage of it, and they make a small amount of it, and then they blend it during the year. And that got me thinking, and that night I got back to the hotel. Uh, I got a ride back with one of their sales guys that was going near Ocho Rios. And I had about six bottles, and I was taking sips of them. And it struck me that if I took this blend of light, very light, and heavy that they bottle as rum bar, and I got them, if I could get them, to bottle something that was light, very light, less of the heavy, I could dilute it to 93 proof, color it black, and make it work took two years to get the first shipment. Uh, Originally, they said, oh, yeah, just ship us labels and we'll do it. Well, as I told them, you know, I'll come down here in in six months and those lovely ladies over there that are putting labels on bottles are going to go, here's that white boy with those labels that don't fit our machine. (laughs) Yeah, all that. And he goes, yeah, you're right. And then he showed me a room full of labels and boxes that were discarded from previous projects where everything Mm -hmm. didn't line up. Sure. And then we got talking about importing bulk, and that seemed like the way to go. So now I import bulk, and uh, actually I've got 17,000 more liters coming uh, that's being shipped tomorrow. Now that, if I recall correctly, and I don't know if you still do this because I don't track it constantly, but you used to follow uh, or on the uh, on your website, you can actually track the manifest and all that. Like you can see exactly when it arrived in port, when the bottles went in. I do that on the first uh, first batch, but okay. now it's I don't want to call it generic, but it's the same track. Sure, yeah. But it shows the shipping documents, shows where the track, the ship, uh, as these things come in. It's pretty much the same boat. Uh, there's not a lot of boats that go from Jamaica direct to New York at the price point and shipping and all this. But uh, yeah, you can track the whole thing to five and 20 distillery where these things are bottled. And then uh, once we get it up there, I so I import a blend and then add 85% alcohol and then the five and 20 distillery dilutes that over five days to 93 proof. And then we add the caramel for the gold and the black. Now the first pre-production that I did with the black, uh, I diluted some rum that I brought from Jamaica, diluted it down to about 93 proof, something like that, as best I could with a graduated cylinder and some water. We, I added some caramel, a little bit too much, took it to Ben at Zigzag in Seattle, and he <laughs> made a daiquiri with it. And he says, Ed, I love everything about this, but it looks like somebody shit in the glass. I said, you're <laughs> absolutely right again, Ben. He says, bring it to me in a gold rum, and I'll put it on the menu. And that's how the gold came along. And, and I do recall the first time you bring it in, you actually brought your spirit caramel, which is uh, a, from Chicago, where you're from, right? Well, or, it's well, from you Clinton, Iowa. Right. For the company, Illinois, I'm sorry. Right. The company is based in Chicago. The plant is actually in Clinton, Iowa. Okay. Uh, earlier this week. Makes I was sense. In, more, uh, more corn there in right Iowa than there is in like, Chicago. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. but the plant was built in, I want to say the 50s, maybe 40s. Uh, it's right next to the ADM plant, and they take high fructose or high dextrose corn syrup. But when I was talking to Brian Sethness, he was telling me about their production and where it is. And I said, no, nope, sorry, I'm not putting anything corn-related into my rum. He says, oh, but we have another product from Florida, domestic sugar, and it's more expensive, but we can do it. I said, great. Well, I use one liter of of caramel to color 4,000 liters of rum. Yeah, I do recall you bringing in your eyedropper to show the example. I think that was the first time I'd really... Um, I always like to taste the uh, 
the components. If, right. if, if anybody will let you, like not right. everybody will always. Not everybody let will let you. Um, Most when, well, we were with Patrick Arledo in Alsace last year, and we actually asked to taste the sugar for the dosage and, and their um, sparkling. Um, and like they went and had to get three people to okay it. Like Patrick was cool with it; he's a GM, so like, right. But they were like, "Are you sure? Like, you know how intensely sweet this is?" <laughs> right. so like, yeah, but we we we, we want to taste it. But I remember you bringing in your eyedropper, and we took. A, you know, I think probably 32 ounces of water from like clear to one drop was gold and three drops was black. completely black. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so it was shocking. I, I think I'd just never really seen that process and how intense that really happened. And when you taste it in water, you don't taste anything. Right. But when you put it in spirits, it changes the surface tension. And so it changes the aroma that comes off it. And flavor is. I'm going to say 70, 80, 90%, depending on who you talk to, aroma. Sure. So when you change the surface tension and the, the caramels are a different viscosity between the gold and the black, you change the aroma. But that was a real interesting experiment for me. I'm glad that I got it worked out. Um, I am amazed at the response to it in the market. Uh, the black now is one of my top selling rums. Uh, really? In the top cool. five. Top five. We buy a lot of the gold. Uh, it's, in fact, my staff um, at, at Black Market, um, where we have the largest rum selection. Like, everywhere they go, they're always just, it's just Hamilton Dak. You know, they just kind of get Hamilton Dak. There's a few bars in town that carry it just so that we, our crew can go have daiquiris <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> you know, they're like, we can't sell it to anybody else, but you guys buy it, so we'll keep carrying it. Well, I have another one uh, that I just launched and uh, launched. I just made available. I don't do product launches. Right, yeah. I don't have time for that. The press uh, release went out? Yeah, no, the press release. Yeah, I didn't have time <laughs> to do that either. Uh, Jamaican pot's still blonde. And so what I did was take some of the rum that goes into the golden black, put it in some of the empty St. Lucian barrels for about 16 months, and then added some one-year-old age light rum aged in Jamaica uh, at Worthy Park. I bring that in separately. I blend in about 15% and then age it another four or five months, and then bottle it. So and when you say it's aged an additional amount of time, where, you, where is that happening? In upstate New York. It's happening in New York. At okay. 5 and 20. And so it was really important for me to not add, blend in this uh, one-year-old during the middle of the winter, or in, say, November, and then let it sit in a cold warehouse all winter. Um, right, yeah, that, that was my next question. Yeah. Right, so it went in in, like, February, and... Uh, we bottled it just recently, and I only did 200 cases of it. I didn't have a lot of it. Um, my stash in that warehouse is over in the corner, and they've got whiskey and wine and all kinds of other things around it. So it's a real pain in the butt to get a forklift in there and see exactly how much Ed has because sure. we're just putting it away. Uh, but I am uh, hopefully in another month I'll know what the inventory is. I just ordered some more one-year-old from Jamaica, and, and I hope to be doing another batch of that in sometime in 2019. 200 cases sounds like a lot, or <laughs> or not. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a lot when you when they well, all come to us with an allocation and say you're only allowed to buy two. Right. Well, uh, the first year of a new product, and uh, Jake Parrott, who you may know, uh, I know Jake. Yeah. <laughs> Jake's been on the show actually. Yeah. So Jake and I have talked about this. It takes about two years to. God, I would love to be a fly on the wall, but with the conversation <laughs> and a conversation between you no, and you Jake. Care that. Uh, <laughs> it takes about two years for a new product to gain traction, and 
you you know with distributors, how long does it take to get a new product sure. pulled through the yeah. distribution chain? I mean, that could take years just to even get it pulled through the distribution chain. Right. So uh, out of those 200 cases, 56, a pallet is 56 cases. One pallet went to California, and they're, now you got to get salespeople tuned into it. What is it, this and that. Right. So it typically happens with people like yourself, Martin Kate, a few others. They taste it or try it or trust me, and then they go to their distributor rep and say, I want some of this. And the distributor rep says, oh, I never heard of it. Yeah, let me look. And he says, you've got it. Mm-hmm. Ed Hamilton told me you've got it. <laughs> right, exactly. And so it's a pull from their end, a push from my end, gentle push from my end, because you can't push distributors. Sure. And it kind of comes, and then it takes off and starts gaining. So my goal is, as this gains next year, uh, that I'll be able to do another batch of it. It's going to be different, I guarantee it. But now I have uh, bottle numbers on each bottle. And eventually, and sometime in the future, sometime in the future, you'll be able to look at and see all the details of each bottle. So we've been talking a lot about uh, the rums and stuff that you bring in from Jamaica. But you've also, um, when Lemonheart went off market or um, in the United States, well, everywhere, I guess, um, you picked up and started bottling, or maybe it was happening before that. I don't know. Were you bottling a Demerara before that? No, no I wasn't. that was it. That was the first no. time. So that was May of 2014. I got an email. I was in Martinique, uh, happened to be in Martinique. I don't get to spend nearly as much time down there anymore. <laughs> None of us do, man. <laughs> we got jobs. Every time I get, well, every time. I've been there, like, for a week, ever. But, I like, I, I feel like I really need to learn French, man. Like, I mean, nobody there speaks English. It's like... No, it's... they speak English. Here's the here's the Yeah, deal. is there a trick here? Here's the deal. All right. Say bonjour. <laughs> yeah, until they correct you, and then... No, you t- almost everybody speaks some English. Sure. And yeah, it was rough, though. I had a rough go when we got into some of the areas of, like, yeah, there was some basic English, but I, was, I just felt it would have been here's a little bit I, easier if I, I knew a little French. Here's how I learned the whole, and this changed my experience in Martinique. Uh, it was probably 93, 94. I was in the back of a bus, a uh, public bus, going from Point of Pete to De Haye, where I where my boat was, and a young girl that worked in a hotel wanted to practice English and she got talking to me and she says when you meet someone here you must say bonjour I said okay she said say bonjour I said oh yeah okay say and she says no say it so I said bonjour she says ah we 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 when you say bonjour we know you are not French right we don't of course hate you. yeah, yeah right. <laughs> we don't hate you some people are offended by that comment uh, but it's true and when you you look French to me man sitting here you look French. They don't get a lot of American tourists. Sure. They get a, yeah, that was obvious. They get a million French, French tourists, tourists a year. Yeah, yeah. And I grew up in Florida, and we That's just— interesting, man. I we didn't even think about that, the like, being the, well, in the, in the independence thing. And look, yeah. well, and then you're obviously, they're, they're part of the overseas department, I believe, is the really clever way of putting that. Yeah, <laughs> but they're a state, like right. Florida yeah, or Indiana. Right. They're not That's a— I'm saying. They're part of it. They are part of France, but there's a big uh, differentiation between the people that live on the island and the French tourists. Sure. And they don't like the French tourists as much as they like the American tourists. Mm. As soon as I said bonjour, I got a smile from everybody. And they look at me, you know, no, you don't speak French. But the other thing that I found, 
when I arrived in uh, Martinique, which would have been uh, St. Pierre, the first place I landed there, I'd been in Guadeloupe, but you already speak French. You yeah. don't even know it. How is that? Rum is rum. Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> beer is beer. Toilet, toilet. That's true. All the important words. And then the merci biggest, is uh, thank uh, you. I think the biggest obstacle I had was in, um, at the duty-free shop when I, oh God, it was, man, the duty-free shops in Martinique are insane. Like, I, like, why can't we have that in America? Like, we get, you go there and you're like, yeah, you can buy, a, you know, a triple-sized handle of uh, Captain Morgan for, you know, whatever price. And I'm like, that's not what I want, though. And then you go there and they're like, they have 40-year-old Agricole sitting here like, this is the duty-free shop? Yeah. <laughs> so that's a, a showcase for everything. And every employee in that duty-free shop speaks three languages. Oh, yeah, you have to. You have to. So that's, that's like going to Europe, you know, like right. as Americans were spoiled, like, oh, now we all speak English. I'm like, and hardly, I mean, I, I can speak Spanish as well, but um, I mean, at max, right? You'd be English and Spanish. I mean, you don't, you don't meet too many people. And no. all my European friends speak four or five languages. Sure, sure. Yeah. You have to. You <laughs> yeah, have right. To. Yeah, it's, it's a whole, type. whole different deal. But so going back to that Demerara, so when Lemonheart went off market, there was obviously a hole in the market. Um, there was because, a hole in the market. Especially with Tiki Files, because we were starting to see a little bit of a resurgence. Martin had his bar open already. Like, he was actually at Smuggler's Cove by this point already. Right. Smuggler's had opened. Smuggler's was going to open. I think it was right before. No, they had opened. They opened 09. They, they oh, right. I, I was the importer of uh, Lemonheart. And when he opened, he said, oh, I've got to have the allocation. I got to have. And it was a challenge because I had to buy a truckload at a time. And I thought that the 151 and the 80 proof were the same blend, mm. diluted, didn't know. They would never sell me. The French-Canadian company that owns the brand Lemonheart would never tell me, wouldn't sell me the 80 proof. And then at the end, they said, well, you don't get it. We sell 30,000 cases a year of Lemonheart 80 in, in Canada. As the American importer, you should be coming to us with a proposal for 300,000 cases a year. And I said, you guys are absolutely right. I don't get it. <laughs> Nobody has ever built a brand with one skew. And they said, oh, yeah, Captain Morgan and Grey Goose. So I knew that they were reformulating from my friends in uh, Guyana. And uh, I know the production manager and the marketing people, and I knew there was something going on there. And then I discovered that— Which just—I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's only one. A lot, of our, a lot of our listeners may not know that. That if, I mean, if you see rum from Guyana, it came from exactly one distillery. Exactly one distillery. Uh, but I was able to get samples of six different uh, marks, and I was looking for a mark that I could dilute I got the samples at 154 proof. I had to have something that I could bottle at 151 and 86. Right. Not everything that you dilute you can bottle at a lower sure, proof and yeah. it'd be good. Changes entirely. So I got this and uh, I was really happy with it. And then uh, it went into production and started in 2015, January 2015. I made a huge tactical error. And I learned a lot from this. I told people in November that, yeah, I'll have it in November and then December. Uh, 2014, the um, weather was horrible. 
in upstate New York. But Christmas fell on a Wednesday. New Year's fell on a Wednesday. So trucking those two weeks was shot. And there were snowstorms and vacation time and this and that. And the other thing, my production didn't get to the warehouse in New Jersey until January 8th, 2015. December of 2014 was the worst uh, sales record. Uh, it was way, way, way below. Uh, it was like 6% of what I do now. It was horrible. Wow, man. It was horrible. So now we can get um, our Hamilton Demerara. So, so Demerara there? I, I yeah. heard there was a little kerfuffle about that. Yeah, on the label. It was a little, there was a little discussion about trademarks. Uh, they lost the trademark. The, the Guyanese lost the trademark to Demerara Sugar. And I'm sure you've seen Demerara Sugar from Florida course, right. and other places. So they didn't keep that trademark up to date. Other people started using it. How do you trademark a river? <laughs> no, you, well, you trademark Demerara Sugar. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> and then when I put Demerara on the label, they said, oh, no, you can't do that. And I said, but you guys don't own the trademark for Demerara Rum. And I said, well, we do. I said, yeah, but you're not supporting it. You're not actually enforcing it because Demerar rum is on Lemon Heart. It's on Lambs. It's on Skippers. It's on uh, a, a couple of others. And I'm buying Demerar rum. So I understand if, if I'm buying Demerar rum and then adding a bunch of stuff to it and still calling it Demerar rum. It's no mm -hmm. longer Demerar rum. Uh, but I, I want to buy rum from them, so I changed the label to distilled and bottled on the banks of the Demerara River. Ah, okay. And then you might have seen... No, I literally just don't even pay that much attention no. to the front. Half the time I see the Demerara. I mean, we know what the product is because we've been working with you for so long, but... Well, you got a little bit of, uh, you got uh, Beach Bomb Berries Bar listed on the back there. You yeah, got a little got cocktail a, from him. A cocktail from him. He, nice. He's a pretty nice guy. Oh, yeah. stuff like keep that. away from open flames. <laughs> or if you are in a tiki bar, do the opposite. Well, if you want to flame stuff, there's cheaper 150 yeah. ones to flame. Uh, we use extracts. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Like, there's other things. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't want to burn rum. No, there's self-preservation. But uh, <laughs> this one, I had to cross out the word Demerara on the back, or I did cross out, to show my good faith. And That's I so wild, man. I, I, didn't, I, could. I was sitting with the uh, owner of, of Crossroad Distributors, uh, Maybe yeah, it was right in the middle of all this, and he just said, "I don't know what Ed's gonna do, man." Like they're they're fighting him on the Demerara thing. Well, I made stickers that went over the front, and fortunately, they caught me between the, <laughs> they caught me between the first batch and the second batch. Uh, but I changed it to say Demerara River, and then this one just says aged up to five years in Guyana. Uh, I asked, I talked to the trademark attorney in D.C. Their guy, and then I tried to talk to Guyana, and they didn't want to talk to me. Uh, it's funny how that works. But anyway, I said, I want to put uh, distilled and aged on the banks of, of well, in Demerara uh, by Demerara Distillers Limited or Demerara Distiller, Distillers LTD. Or how about distilled and aged on the, in Demerara or in Guyana by some guys that don't want to be identified? <laughs> and he said, Mr. Hamilton, we've answered all your questions. <laughs> We're done with you. <laughs> So I took it on myself to just say distilled and aged on the banks of the Demerara River. I asked if they owned the, the trademark for Demerara River in this or any other country. And, well, that's uh, what I thought. I said, man, that was a the weird end of that thing. One. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trademark Indiana. No, you can't. You can't. <laughs> right, of course. A geographic of course area. Not, right. And you can't trademark Demerara. 
but you can trademark Demerara rum right, or Demerara sugar. Okay, so that's where the differentiation is, and I didn't, and that had never actually been explained to me. So, I mean, that, I mean, it doesn't make sense, but what you're saying makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the fact that you can trademark any sort of geographical designation without a GI or AOC, which whatever, it, it is what it is. It's different legalities, different places. And yeah. So the good news is they're still selling me rum. And right, uh, exactly. People at are the end of the day, it. it's still there, and yeah, we still, still use it, man. And like uh, said, we're flying through it. And from what I see and from what I hear uh, in the home bars and tiki bars uh, and the tiki gossip line, I, I don't, I don't think I've posted on. Uh, uh, what is it, Tiki Central in a long, oh, long yeah, time? Yeah, yeah. But uh, most people have said if you don't have Hamilton 151 or Hamilton 86 in your bar, you're not a real tiki bar. They're fantastic. And again, you mentioned it earlier in the show, but um, you don't put anything across on your product line that's not affordable. And so that that's a really big one for a lot of us. I mean, that's that gains you back bar access. I know that for years, you know, that's what brand ambassador's job was to go out and like get bartenders to pour it. But the fastest way to get a bartender to pour it is by making affordable enough to pour. Right. So, I mean, it's been for a long time. Um, it's been our go-to, you know, pot still Jamaican rum, you know, going back to the, to the Jamaican pot still. It's been our go-to. We just called it our bartender ketchup. <laughs> right. You know, it's like every time we do something, like, ah, it just needs a little funkiness. Grab just, some of the Hamilton, just, you know. Just put a little bit of that gold in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't, don't put the black in there. That's going to make it look yeah, weird. Yeah, right, exactly. But the, but the gold will be fine. Yeah, the, the price point is really important. When I did the 151, I said I've got to have a better rum uh, than the Lemon Heart better. You define better. I don't know. It had to sure, be smoother. Yeah. It's... Uh, Less fire, had to have a good finish. It had to be a quality rum, but I had to be able to put it in the bottle and get it to you at the same price. In, in case anybody doubted that we were actually sitting in a warehouse, you could hear the <laughs> gates going up and cars driving past us in the warehouse. Yeah, they're unloading vans here. But uh, yeah, we actually did a side by side by side of the OG Lemon Heart, then the one you, and then they re released right. um, a. Was it, what, do you think that you precipitated that? Like, no, no, no. Okay. What happened was but, they... Well, I mean, why, why did it disappear in the first place? Well, the company in Canada uh, wasn't making enough money. 300,000. Yeah, yeah, right. They, they weren't doing 300,000 cases, but they had a perception that there was going to be a lot more sold in the U.S., uh -huh. and they wanted to premiumize it, and... Uh, so they changed the label. They're very good graphics people. I, I was astounded at the graphics. Uh, typically when people rebrand things, uh, leave something to be desired. But they did a really nice job on the label. But then they raised the price. Mm -hmm. And people tell me that they like this better. Um, so I'm not going to comment on it. Like I said, we tried them all side by profile. side by side. And they were like shockingly all three different. Even their original product versus the new product. I mean, shockingly different. Mm-hmm. So, but you still import. You still own Caribbean spirits, right? Um, so you're still bringing in Agricole. You've got your own rums. I am, and I just went to Martinique in June. Here we are in October, so four months ago. Yeah, four yeah, months ago. Yeah, season just would have been wrapping up then. Yeah, it was just just wrapping up, and uh, I went down with a uh, writer from uh, Vogue magazine. Uh, there's an Vogue? Art. Not Vogue. Okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Savour magazine. Okay, well, that makes a little bit more sense. Savour like Vogue. magazine. I'm like, wow, we've really, we've really broken through in the rum world. No. It's now fashionable. No, it's not fashionable. <laughs> Fortunately, then the price go up. Right, yeah. Uh, 
Civil War magazine went sent a photographer down with me, and uh, there, I selected about eight different, eight, nine, I don't know, remember exactly how many uh, different barrels, different ages, uh, some different marks of aged Martinique rum from uh, Nissan. Some of it's aged in new American oak barrels. Really? Which is a departure from everything anybody's ever Quite done. Quite a departure. Care. Quite a departure. Uh, it's not aged a long time, but it's got great flavor. Hmm. Uh, I was real. I was so happy with it that I bought some, and uh, so I've got a number of new marks coming out in 750 milliliter bottles. They got the smaller bottles, and What's I've got uh, various. 90 to 110, okay. something like that. It's not 70 proof or anything. Like okay. You know, it's it's all well over 80. Uh, yeah, it's we're in, still all out here holding our breath in the United States for our uh, five liter bagger coal. Yeah, well, <laughs> we have to change. But you can't the, do that, right? We have to no, change the law, like, right? We can't have that size. We can't let you have that much alcohol at one time, uh, which is insane. But they'll sell you a handle of Captain Morgan's, but you can't right, have five can't liters of bagger coal. But uh, I bought that, and they've got an a, a, uh, organic, and I know that there are at least five uh, liquor stores in America that want an organic rum agricole, uh, but I bought all I could, uh, it's 900 bottles, something like that. It's a very small production, but Nissan is the first of all of the Eastern Caribbean distilleries, or all of the distilleries, to have a organic rum. Mm. And it'll be bottled at Nissan. Uh, it is bottled at Nissan. But there Nissan. are quite stringent regulations in Martinique regarding oh. the growth of sugarcane. I mean, obviously, there's a lot, there's regulations regarding a lot of it, but right. like fertilization and all of that. Right. So it took three, four years, uh, at least four years, to get the European certification right. for the organic. And then it took me another 18 months to get it with the U.S., with the labels and all that. Sure. But all that's done. And uh, that's coming on a container actually next week. It's, it's it, that's actually. I mean, it's beside the point. But it it makes me think of the conversation that's been. Um, we'll, we'll call it politely a conversation that's been happening between Richard Steele and Alexander Gabriel on Facebook this week about the Barbados GI. But um, I'll have to look at that. Yeah, I'm sure that's interesting. I'll send it to you. <laughs> interesting would be an understatement, um, because Alexander doesn't even have a Facebook account, so he. Use his wife's just to respond to Richard. Um, yeah, like I said, interesting to say the least. But uh, the greater point is being, you know, there's this uh, rum doesn't have any rules. The rum doesn't have any rules. Like, it has a million rules depending on where you are. But the thing that really sucks about it, and, the, and it got addressed in the Barbados GI, is that the rules not are not always coming from where you're producing the rum, which really sucks. You know, it's like to be classified as rum in the EU versus classified as rum in the United States, those are two clearly different sets of regulations. Right. Um, and so, I, I mean, that, that's an issue. You know, when it's, if you've got a Jamaican set of rules, as they do recently, you know, um, you know, that may not have always matched with what the U.S. needed to put that on the label. So, I don't know. It's, it's, it's an always, that's why I'm really attracted to the rum world because it's fun to see this thing like growing and happening in real time, you know? And, I mean, you've oh, been doing it for a long time, man, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised. I've done it, been doing it 25 years, and I kind of missed it. 25 years went fast. When you said that earlier, I'm like, yeah. damn, has it been 25 years yeah, since Since I 90s? started. Uh, but I decided a couple of years ago that I was going to get out of all these conversations. And uh, there's a lot of things I could say about Very auspicious decision. <laughs> well, 
I don't have time for it. Yeah. And being vocal, there's plenty of people that want to poke fingers in and pins in everything I said. And uh, some of those people really pissed me off. <laughs> and I don't ever want to see them again. And now they're coming to me and saying, Ed, I'm, I'm starting this rum brand and I want you to help me. And I'm like, why should I help you? You're an idiot. All you want to do is try to tear down what other people are trying to build. I want to build credibility in the rum world. And I see a number of brands on the shelf that have no credibility and shouldn't be there. They're rum liqueurs. Yeah. They're not rum. And the TTB is starting to take a look at this. And uh, say, I don't know if I'd go that far, man. Well, they, I've seen some approvals in the past few months that are like, what? Well, there are approvals, <laughs> but they... Then again, that's not actually on a bottle yet. Right. So. Well, there are also uh, people that are starting to look at it. Rum has finally gotten to a point where it's being noticed at other levels. Now, you know, being in Indiana... You're not in the heart of Bourbon country, but you're not far from it. No, we're an hour away. Like, <laughs> right, I, don't, I think right. a lot of people don't realize in Indianapolis, we are an hour away from the Bourbon Trail. You're lucky you're not in the Bourbon Trail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. But it, you know that some of the crap that goes on yeah. in the rum world would not fly in the Bourbon mm. world. Oh, never. You I mean, it legally couldn't. Well, legally, <laughs> yeah. but... Yeah. The fellows would take care of it. Oh, yeah. There's, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, there's some interesting stories regarding that stuff around here. Yeah. Right. Of course, and, you know, and there's like the um, a lot of the drama even in the bourbon world, and we've discussed it with Bernie Lovers and all that, with um, now MGP, but previously LDI, which, right. you know, I think a lot of people don't realize a lot of the bourbon they drink comes right here from Indiana. Right. It's yeah, got it relabeled. And, you know, I mean, that's why I love, I mean, you're not purporting to be a distiller. You're not, you know, I mean, you've got, obviously couldn't be because you've got Demerara rum, you've got... I'm sorry, uh, distilled on the banks of the Demerara River, river rum, uh, Jamaican rum, uh, St. Lucian rum. So, like, uh, you know, you're obviously an independent bottler. I mean, or I'm an uh, independent bottler. And so, like, and that's all I am. And there's a lot of, in the bourbon world, there are independent bottlers that don't purport themselves to be independent bottlers. And that's right. where the issues have been. Right. But they don't have the transparency. Right. And I think we all need to work more towards transparency. I also appreciate that people that have built a brand don't want transparency. And I've oh, seen. Oh, no, yeah, of course not. <laughs> yeah. You're 30 years in. There's, you don't want to start telling or anybody. Or even how 10 much. years in. Right. Uh, you know, I, I know a brand uh, that's 114 proof that took the distillery name off their label after they it was exposed that that distillery didn't make the types of rum that they were claiming. Ooh. And. I've said for years. I mean, you get busted like that. I mean, what do you... Yeah. Well, you change your label and you ignore it and you say, oh, Ed Hamilton's... Ed Hamilton's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's fine. I don't care. That's what I said. I mean, like, there's, you know, I I think in the it, a lot of it in the past, it, when I said you've been a polarizing figure is because you're very direct. You don't, you know, pull punches. I don't punches. have time for it. Right. You don't pull punches. Like, if you've got an opinion, you're going to... Yeah, people are going to hear it, and so well, it's not. Like just, like, you and I have gotten along from day one, other than that <laughs> tea punch debacle. <laughs> yeah, but, but after that, that was very brief. It was very brief. But maybe I insulted fact, you, but you would never try to batch a no, tea punch again. I, I never made a tea punch. We didn't know what right. one looked like. There was no well, your handy dandy tea punch video on YouTube was not there at the time. Right. But additionally, um, and I will say to everybody out there that, that thinks you might be polarizing, like that day. We went through, I think our rum collection at that point had grown to like 20 because it's all we had in Indiana. And we still had everything that was available in market. 
even the ones that were pretty much liqueurs, you know? Right. And you asked me, you said, would you like me to address the crowd and kind of give them a quick five-minute rum rundown, and I'll go through and I'll talk about each one of these brands very briefly. And you were very incredibly polite, <laughs> uh, uh, like now in retrospect, looking at some of those those producers that you definitely did not need to be very polite about. Um, and I, I, that was, I think, at that point where we started to kind of gain a friendship. But, you know. Well, I, I have opinions, but they're all based on the research that I've done and the things that I know from the distillers and from the people that actually make the rum. When I was doing the research back in the 90s and I went to Trinidad Distillers or uh, Barbados, people were proud to tell me everybody they sold rum to. And I, because I'd say, well, you don't sell all this rum in Trinidad. What do you, what's your market? And they go, oh, well, we're a bulk rum supplier and we supply, or this, sure, supply right, right. this guy and this guy and this guy. And then uh, a friend of mine, a guy I sat next to in college, was the distiller at Florida Distillers in Auburndale. And he opened my eyes up to everything that's done in Auburndale and showed me a lot of labels and a lot of different things. And I said, okay, so how do you get some of these flavors and things? And he goes, well, we got a barrel here and we got a barrel here pointing to blue plastic barrels. And he says, yeah, it's all flavoring. And, uh, you know, we, we don't have a lot of aging. Uh, we, we age, well, we bottle for crucian. They send up bulk aged rum and then we uh, bottle it here. But... Uh, we had had a fire, and uh, we lost some of our aged spirits. But my opinions are based on facts. And I know, I understand now that a lot of people don't care about my opinion or the facts that I've uh, come up with. And that's fine. You know, eh, I'll ignore it. <laughs> uh, if I ever lie about your brand, come talk to me face-to-face. -face. Don't bother with Facebook or call me. And, uh, and I'll talk to you straight that, you know, this is what I know. And... Maybe you're full of shit. Right. Yeah, man. I mean, I've never known you to be somebody that is um, that stands strong on an opinion without, like, being able to change your mind. Like, right. here's what I believe, and you'll never change my mind if somebody comes with facts. I've always known you to be like, you know what? Maybe you got a point. I'll look into it. That That's a... Right. I'll look into it. But generally, <laughs> generally, I've formed an opinion based on the right. research that I've done and the places I've been. I've been fortunate to have been to almost every distillery that imports rum to the U.S. today. That's awesome, man. So when you start telling me about this lost distillery that you found somewhere. Right, yeah. Nah. It's in the Mayan ruins. It's a distillery that's been here for 25,000 yeah. no. years. You didn't, yeah, uh, man. you're not Indiana rum. And, uh, well, that was the this. issue in the bourbon world, right? Like, I think that's where, was it Bullet that got in trouble? That, yeah. When they were like, wait a minute, hold on a second. How do you oh. have all this old rum? Or, no, I'm sorry, uh, bourbon. Oh, yeah. Um, well, and Templeton got in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, they did, yeah. And, and, and they exposed a lot of things that a lot of people did not want them exposing. And I think that really what you said, like you said, it comes down to is transparency. If everybody would just be kind of upfront about what they're doing, I don't really care. As long as I know what I'm drinking and I enjoy what I'm drinking, I'm fine. Um, you know, and I guess that's really become the conversation in the rum world. And everybody thinks it's like choosing sides or it's a debate. No, it's just tell me what's in the bottle, which you've always been very upfront about, and let me drink it. And if I enjoy it, cool. If I don't, there are, there's but a if you, thousand if other brands out there, you know. If you're giving me something that's really sweet and got a lot of chocolate in it, uh, I've never tasted a bourbon or a whiskey with chocolate in it. Yeah, and right, I, exactly. And I've tasted a lot of rums, and they, they don't get sweeter as they get older. They get drier. 
And so, oh man, we lost our ocean for a minute there. That I think the yeah, AC the kicked ocean. on. We had ocean. No, I think it's <laughs> rain. Oh, is it really raining? Oh wow. Yeah, it's raining. Well, that's the warehouse sound. Jeez. It's raining outside. Unfortunately, that means there's probably a real ocean outside. <laughs> this is Indiana. We're flat, man. It's going to flood out. Um, well, I know you've got sales appointments to hit, man. Yeah, and we I could do. do this all day. I'm off to Chicago tomorrow and New York Monday. Uh, actually, Sunday, I go to New York. I'm doing some things in New York for a week. I'm doing a winter or fall trip before the snow falls. Yeah. And then I will be back in uh, California, my home base, uh, at the end of next week. And then I'll be back after the snow melts. Man, I'll tell you, I knew you pre and post California. <laughs> you're, 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 you just seem a lot more relaxed. I mean, it's hard to. It's, it's I guess it's hard to, hard to, hard to, hard to feel the stress of the city when you got sunny skies and uh, no, it's a different temperatures all day. It's a different stress. Uh, the night that I like, where am I going to go get my weed? Is that <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's not a problem? <laughs> uh, but. In uh, the, the, when I met you the first time at the end of the night, I was ready to pay my bill, and uh, I had left my credit card in Chicago, and so I had to. Oh, drive that's back. right. Oh I had to drive God. back to Chicago. Wow. Yeah. And I couldn't check into a hotel that yeah, I had a reservation at because I didn't have my credit card or anything. I didn't have any ID with me or any money, uh, so I drove back to Chicago that night, and then had to drive back down here the next day. Uh, but. This is now rolling a lot better. It's a lot easier. Uh, I'm, I've got inventory. I'm not yeah. stressed as much with trying to keep up with it. Uh, but we're we're going to do our best to sell all of your inventory in Indiana. I know we're uh, we <laughs> I think we've quadrupled their sales already in the last three weeks. But uh, their sales are up considerably. <laughs> but these are now in available in liters. The, the eighty six and the one fifty one, and both of these Jamaicans. And the Navy Strength is awesome. available in liters. It's the same shape bottle, but it's a clear bottle, not okay, dark. Cool. Before so, we wrap up today, uh, we always ask everybody. Um, if you've got any, uh, I mean, you, man, you've been sailing around the world for, for decades. Surely you've got some cool hangover cures or at least one that you stick to. I've been out with you yeah. and had, had a few drinks in the past. Like, are you yeah. just suffering through the morning or you got a regimen? No, gotta, I suffer through a regimen. Well, if I've had too much to drink, I will sit on the edge of the bed before I put my head on the bed and drink half a liter of water. Okay. At least. Yeah. At least half a liter of water. And then in the morning, try to get some breakfast. Um, I have gotten lucky. Uh, I'm drinking a lot less, and, and I'm drinking better spirits than I used to. Uh, I'm a lot older than I was when I started this thing. And, uh, you know, it's harder. But I, I watch more what I drink, and I watch... Uh, I make sure I eat food before I start. Sure, yeah. That's Get always my mistake. I never, I never remember to eat before I start. It's so easy. Like you land in a plane in Chicago or New York at 4.30 in the afternoon and you go to a bar and you start drinking before you eat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you get a little bit of food and then you go to another place and another place and the next thing you know it's 2 in the morning. And uh, no, I always carry water with me or sit down and just drink uh, half a liter of water. Dehydration is one of the biggest It's the big problem. one. There it's, it is, folks. Water. One. Forget all of the other guests what they said. Forget <laughs> it all. It's all water. We keep saying we're going to compile a book of just like hangover cures, but we keep getting in the same you know, it's, exercise is a big one. Uh, it's just if you can bring yourself to do it. Well, you know? being in shape. And it's, being in shape. To for me, I've lately taken, taken to uh, sitting in a sauna. If I happen to be in a hotel that has one, I ask if they have one. And I would go in there and just sweat it out for half an hour. 
I'm sure that nobody wants to sit next to me. Like, no. why does that guy smell like overproved Jamaican rum? No, uh, <laughs> hot showers. I've sat in a hot shower more than yeah. once. Yeah. Uh, but drinking enough water in the morning or before you go to bed, that's a big one. But eat, eat before you <laughs> yes. get to a point where that's you should be That's a big key right there, folks. And while I'm drinking, I generally drink a glass of water between drinks. Yeah, I I usually try to take. You try to do it. This but is my new technique happen. now. So what I if I'm with someone and I'm not always with someone, I tell them or I tell the bartender every time I order a drink, ensure that I drink because they always put the glass of water. Just ask me I to drink, drink it. it. No, I, I, no, I tell them like, can you ask me to drink it before I have that because I need a reminder. Like, no, I drink. Don't it. just keep rolling, you know. So well, the other thing I do. Uh, I'm fortunate because there's usually people around that want to drink what I'm drinking. And so I'll drink yeah. half a drink, and then I'll give it to somebody else. Ah, there you go. That cuts the drinking, and then I drink that glass of water. And uh, That's I'm, a good technique right there. I'm working on it. And it also makes you look like the cool guy. Well, <laughs> I also have Caroline saying, uh, right, it's yeah. time to go. She you doesn't had, drink, does she? She doesn't drink no, at all. No, that's right. She doesn't drink at all. Well, Ed, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Uh, I've been waiting. It's It's been a little while since we've seen each other. Yeah, I think it's been yes. a couple years. So. Yeah. Happy to have you back in Indianapolis, and uh, I'm sure we'll see you tonight, and we'll make some tiki drinks, and I have a feeling we're going to see a lot of you folks from the Whiskey Fest, so. Yeah, I'm going to be back. Uh, it's If you're I'm, feeling better, if you're feeling better. Yeah, I'm, hope, yeah. I'm also hoping to uh, cut the travel down some, but I, I just spent a week in Illinois, southern Illinois, and uh, there's a lot of potential, uh, a lot of people that want to learn about better things, so I'll be back. Great. All right. Well, again, folks, Ed Hamilton from Caribbean Spirits and Hamilton Rums, Ministry of Rum, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The asshole that said you make tea punches wrong. All those things. <laughs> All right, you man. You can call me anything but late for dinner, man. <laughs> All right. Cheers, Ed. Cheers.